Alright, let's do it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 128. This is Dave. This is Barry. This um, is Ethan. <laughs> wow, that was an interesting Ethan. That was almost like a, a Nanu Nanu. Yeah, that was almost an Orcish Ethan. And then we have a very special guest. I'm AJ. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Thank you for having me. Anytime, anytime. Would you like to do the proper introduction, Barry? Uh, yeah, we have my brother Martin Wurst, the director of writer director of Salivate, is here. And uh, last uh, the night before, we just had a premiere of the film over at uh, UCCS. We invited the public and film club students, and yeah, it's a real honor to have Marty here today because uh, yes. it went very well. It was a lot of fun, and it's just always fun to have Marty here. So, especially when we don't talk about the hottest women in cinema. It's always good whenever we don't talk about that anyway. Well, this is true. This yeah. is true. Writer, and, director, but not star. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you yeah yeah well okay i don't even know where to go from here yeah too bad y'all don't see this as a video cast this week because we need to have more puppets on this show that's all i'm saying i know this is only for ethan i guess yeah (laughs) ethan gets the puppet show yeah yeah it's kind of like the beaver going on right now (laughs) this is kind of like what that jodie foster movie is going to be like there you go. With that, sir, I'm going to let Barry go first as to what he's been watching this week. Okay. Um, I went back and watched uh, Midnight Run. I haven't seen this thing probably since, uh, <coughs> excuse me, probably since the 80s. It, it was nice to see Robert De Niro in a commercial film where he was so terrific and the movie was so good. You know, this is before, like, you know, De Niro was doing stuff like, oh, Little Fockers and Godsend. Um, it was, you know, and he's so terrific in the movie. It's a really great action comedy. So I recommend it if, if you guys haven't seen it. It's got an f- amazing score by Danny Elfman that's really good. Um, just a really great mixture of action comedy, top-notch film. Um, I watched the Interview with the Vampire, and I, this is one of these movies I've been avoiding because I, I, I hadn't seen it since the first time it was in theaters. Um, and I've been kind of avoiding it because it's one of these movies I remember admiring uh, but not particularly liking and I think it still has a lot of the same problems that I remember um, namely Brad Pitt uh, this is back when he was doing that long-haired pretty boy phase and he really wasn't much of an actor but he was you know he was like Fabio of cinema this was like a year or two before he did 12 monkeys and his performance in interview the vampire it's really amateurish and there's a portion of the movie where the characters go to Paris and they go to the theater of the vampires. And that scene has always felt really long-winded to me. And I think it hurts the film. But um, the music by Elliot Goldenthal is still fantastic. Um, gosh, the makeup, the special effects, the sets, the costumes are still so amazing. Especially the the makeup effects in this movie are incredible. And then, uh, you know, Christian Slater, fantastic in a very small role. Kirsten Dunst is incredible in this film. I think it's still probably her best performance. She plays this old soul inside of the body of a little girl. And it's an amazing child performance. And last but not least, Mr. Cruz. I think Tom Cruise is excellent in Interview of the Vampire the same reason he's excellent in Born on the Fourth of July. Um, and Magnolia and Tropic Thunder because he's doing this movie because he wants to not not as a you know attempt to win over his fans it's a really it's a really brave performance and I think he's terrific in it and and finally I want to say like, this is from Neil Jordan I think it's a really nice kind of like a third part in his trilogy his kind of love story trilogy with Mona Lisa and the Crying Game the whole idea that uh, you know it's like these guys who you know they they commit themselves completely um, to the ones they love, and they get completely burnt for because they don't know what they're in for. Um, and they are, and are, are all you three... a big uh, sorry? I was saying, are you a big Anne Rice reader, Barry? Uh, I read Interview with the Vampire, and I read The Mummy, but other, and I read Christ the Lord, but uh, that's it. Yeah, I don't read a lot of her stuff. 
I, I tried reading Interview with the Vampire, and I really hated myself for actually buying it. <laughs> Did you ever finish it, or couldn't get that far into it? 20 pages. Yeah. <laughs> Her style is very, like, I, I've heard people say it's very lush and bad. Very, very... That's her style? Bad? <laughs> well, don't hold back. I don't think she's that bad, but but not, she's not my favorite writer either. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, um, I saw a film that uh, Ethan uh, told me to see, so I, I uh, decided to fulfill that promise. Um, I did get around to seeing Old Dogs. And I don't want to just reiterate everything that Ethan said. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing the happy dance on his end right now. Yeah, I don't want to like it, because Ethan pretty much kind of summed it up, but I got to say, like, it's funny to watch kind of like from for me it was kind of an experience like watching my tolerability like needle kind of kind of eventually break because like the opening credits it's all these scenes of Travolta and Robin Williams together when they were like younger and kids and you know it's like all these obviously fake pictures of the two of them and they're so obviously fake and, and like the, the one that's the funniest is a, there's a picture of John Travolta in Carrie where he's in the car. I mean, it's a very famous photo, and they just superimpose like Robin Williams' head in the picture, like he's driving the car. And I thought, okay, that's the first thing, though, that this is not going to go very well. And then he gets to the first scene of the movie, and it's all these Japanese businessmen. It's like really, like really racist, n- real 1990s, like Asian fear, like depiction of Japan. Oh, 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 you know, really, Anchor really, freeze. Re- really, yeah, really nasty, like ancient. Like I can't believe it's 2009. And I'm watching like these, this really rancid, rancid, racist stuff. And then like the scene that Ethan described on this show, and I swear, Ethan, I thought you were kidding because I didn't think this was possible. But there is a scene in the movie. And and I swear it's more outrageous than it sounds. Where where Rita Wilson playing a hand model gets her hand slammed in the trunk of a car. She's screaming her head off, and "Big Girls Don't Cry" blares on the soundtrack. And it's this five minute scene of Robin Williams trying to get the car door open, and she's screaming her head off. And it's supposed to be hilarious. And "Big Girls Go Don't Cry" plays. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so it really doesn't work without the video. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> no, it works. The pantomiming is a little bit funnier too. I don't blame Travolta for this movie because I think he's actually really trying. He's really, really trying. Whereas Williams doesn't seem to be trying at all, which was really strange to watch. Even though Williams does, at one point he puts on blackface and there's like a blackface joke. Oh. There's a scene. Uh, there's a scene where he's standing inside <laughs> inside of a, a restroom toilet watching a little boy fart. Um, uh, yeah, this, the, you know, I, I from the very beginning that I've been reviewing movies, I always give it like a one to four star. I mean, I, I had no hesitation giving this movie half a star. I mean, it's, it, it is, it really, you know, you're right, Ethan. I mean, it really does, it is a new zenith of, of bad. It's almost like, and you know, and I say this just to give perspective, not to pick on Todd Salons, who I like, but like, this is like if Todd Salons made a big studio film, you know? It's like it, it's so it's so ugly and it's so nasty and it's so hateful, but you can't stop watching it because like this movie does. I mean, it really delivers. It's almost like the Marine of bad comedies. Like, it, like Ooh. this movie just keeps giving and giving and giving. Like even to the last <laughs> scene of the film, like this movie never stops giving you something you've never seen before. To be honest, if I weren't stoned, I probably would have turned turned it off. But. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And then, oh, the last one, the last one I want to mention, because uh, this is a movie that Marty, um, Marty told me I had to see, um, and, he's, and he's like the, one of the few people I know, like other than Josh, who told me like you gotta see Bruno, you gotta see Bruno. So we watched Bruno the other night, and I gotta together? say, what's that? Together? Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and I gotta say, I was a little a little disappointed. Like on one hand, like it has some really really hilarious moments, and like you cannot deny that once again, like Cohen is is completely dedicating himself to this crazy, insane, borderline suicidal performance art. But I, for my, for me, the problem was that Bruno. I didn't think he was a very likable or really a very funny character. And you remember how in Borat, the relationship that Borat had, I think, with his manager, the big guy who they had like that wrestling match scene with. I mean, I love that dynamic. I love the two of them together. In Bruno, Bruno has a relationship with this assistant, and it's and most of their dialogue is in German, and it's really not that, not very funny. And I thought a lot of I thought the movie itself really peaked after the, about the forty minute mark, and I didn't think it was all that great. So, so that's it. Marty, would you like to go next? Or you've been on the like the Colorado Whirlwind tour, so if you don't have anything, that's totally cool too. If I if I don't want, sorry. If you don't, if you haven't been watching much, totally cool. But if there's stuff you want to mention, by all means, do. Oh uh, yeah, if I think of something. But uh, okay, yeah. I I happen to love Bruno when I saw him in the theater. Um, I was laughing my butt off. But um, I can see Barry's points for sure. He's not that likable a character, but uh, there are some pretty brilliant moments in the movie that I think are worth seeing. So fair enough. Aj, what have you been saying? Um, let's see. Now that I'm a cat. <laughs> We're bringing performance art to Screen Geeks Radio. It's theater of the mind, folks. <coughs> Ethan, go next. I'm coughing like crazy. I'll get get some cough drops, man. Uh, I actually watched a ton of stuff this week, but just for the sake of brevity, I'll just do a few. I uh, was lucky enough to watch the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Why would you do that to yourself? But ask me, what did I think of this film? What did you think of this film, Ethan? What did you think? (laughs) Should should I do a recreation since it didn't really pick up through the headset? Wait, I can do it again. There you go. Okay. That pick up? That's good. Close enough, yes. Yes, that was a nice big... Two fonts, not but, bad. <laughs> but, but like, Jackie Earl Haley, he just he looked like a cat. Yeah, like looked like a Siamese was, cat, didn't he? It was like just one of the most misguided decisions I've ever seen in a film. That makeup. Yeah, definitely. And there's one person in this movie who I saw in another movie, and I'm like, it's like watching two entirely different actresses. I'll just say, we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, next, I watched um, This Movie is Broken. It's from Bruce McDonald, who's a pretty big-name Canadian director. And it's this... Um, it's basically... It's, they, take a, they went to a Broken Social Scene concert, and they crowdsourced it. And, but it's, it's uh, cut in with this love story about these people going to the concert. And the thing is, the love story is incredibly cheesy, but all the crowdsourced footage is pretty awesome. Like, if you're a big fan like me, it's just like... Oh! But... So, but again, that love story. Uh, mm. So it's it's a mixed bag, but you know, it's still probably one of the better Canadian films that'll come out this year. Cool. Um, next, uh, I watched The Killer Inside Me. Oh wow, which was boring. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think the reason why the violence stands out so much is because the rest of the movie is so boring that you're kind of just like. <sighs> <laughs> Oh wow! Crap! Oh, oh. The, and then the rest of the movie. How was uh, Casey Affleck in it? 
I liked him, but I I just thought that there wasn't a lot to the character. I found yeah. honestly, just yeah, yeah, he kills people. And what what else? Yeah, I thought it was a very limited film too. Um, and the ending, like it felt like they were trying to make a really really huge, like like B movie pulp story, like over the top ending. And I think Winterbottom, Michael Winterbottom, a director I really don't like. I think he was really the wrong guy to make that movie. I think they should have went with somebody who was just really wild and crazy and really could have made the movie like really stylish and dark. But I think Winterbottom's style is like one of the problems that it felt like so so dull. Well, I, I like Twenty Four Hour Party People a lot, and that movie is like got tons of energy and everything. Yeah. But yeah, the yeah. movie just like I thought, like the opening credits, I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of like pulpy and interesting. But just the rest of the movie it reminded me of it, like his pulp, like his his movie uh, Code Forty Six. I mean, like he, some of his movies are just so like to me, it's like walking through a library where nobody's there. They're just like this is going to be an exercise to get through. Pretty much, yeah. and that's all I'm going to talk about. Okay, I'll chime in last. I don't have much this week. This is actually a pretty short What Have We Watched This Week segment. It's nice for a change. Which, well, we get a lot to talk about, so. We do, we yeah. do. Um, but, well, and one of the things is a DVD release from this week, so. Um, but I watched, I've been going back through the Monty Python Almost the Truth documentary. Cool. And I've watched the first four of the six parts. I watched the two-hour cut originally, and it was good, but this goes a lot more in-depth into the history of Python and where everyone came from and how they got together and their process in making the show and fighting the BBC censorship and getting the movies made and the albums and... It's really interesting. My wife doesn't like Monty Python at all, but she's loved watching the watching the documentary so far. Cool, very cool. And then I saw the new DC animated release because you know I'm a big comic geek. Uh, Batman Superman Apocalypse. I'm sorry, it's Superman Batman Apocalypse. But essentially, it's it's introducing Supergirl into the DC universe again, and she becomes super powerful. Dark side captures her, kidnaps her, turns her, brainwashes her, and so they have to go to Apocalypse and save her and. It's a good action movie. It's fun. It's a fun adventure flick. It's not as good as Batman Under the Red Hood, I don't think. But it's fun. Um, the interesting thing about these DC releases is they're they're doing like these short films, these short vignettes for minor characters. And this one had to do with the Green Arrow. And it was probably more fun than, than the full the feature-length film. Um, just between this, the Jonah Hex short on, on Mask of the Red Hood, the Spectre short, they've been really knocking out of the park with these sh- short little seven-minute films. So... That's all I've watched. Okay. Oh, uh, M- Marty and I watched In the Loop. What'd you think, Marty? Oh, it was hilarious. I loved it. Very funny. Cool. Sharp satire. Very cool. <laughs> I need to see that. And Ethan, I've been meaning to ask you, Did you speaking of Canadian filmmakers, did you ever see um, Adam Egoyan's uh, Chloe? It's interesting. I was It was on a plane, and I was considering watching it, but I don't know if it's the kind of thing I'd like to watch with a bunch of people. Looking over your shoulder. Peering over at my... Uh, <laughs> Self, so I'll, I'll maybe get around to it. Okay, I'll wait till you see it. Uh, I I saw it and I definitely want to talk about it, but I'll I'll wait till till you see it too. So. Cool. All right, let's go ahead and talk about what's hit in theater. What hit theaters this past weekend? Currently, the number one movie in America with a really really strong and and when people are predicting that it's going to really keep building, and I think it will, which is David Fincher's new film, The Social Network. You know, in a perfect world, a David Fincher movie will always open up at number one and do really well, and and you know. Like where where was the audience for Zodiac? Where were they? That's what I was you say. know where they were? They were watching Wild Hogs. They were watching Ghost Rider, and they were watching oh. Norbit. That's where they were. Those bastards. And then opening up at number seven, a movie that is four years old, finally getting released. Renee Zellweger and Bradley Cooper in his Midnight Meat Train days. Case thirty nine, and also I didn't know starting it was four years old. I knew it was four old. years old. This was made. Yeah, this was made back when he was doing horror movies. And uh, Jodel, I think Jodel Fordland, the star of Tideland, is also in it. 
and then opening up at a whopping number eight. <laughs> you are so happy about this, aren't you? <laughs> Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. That's his career going down in flames. <laughs> Let Me In, uh, starring Chloe Moretz, the remake of Let the Right One In, um, opening up at a whopping $5 million, which doesn't even cover its whopping budget. So. More like, let me out of this crappy movie. <laughs> well, that was good. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Give me two. Well, no, no. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Um, so you and Ethan saw Let Me In. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you guys talk about that first. No, you take it away, Ethan. I love the film. No! It's, in my, it's in my it's in my top ten movies of the year so far. I I I don't. It's weird. I kind of when I watched it, I was like, "Yeah, this is like this." But at a certain point, I just just said, "You know what? I'm going to stop comparing it and view it as its own movie." And I thought, like, let the right one. It, it was very deliberately paced, elegantly made, beautiful, emotionally powerful. Um, I thought the kids in it, actually, I think the performances in this movie are better than the ones in the original. That's what this has over that one. And there's some really, and some new interesting additions, like um, that car that car crash scene, I thought was amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I just found it a really powerful film. Like, I actually kind of teared up at various points, which I didn't do during the original. So I'd still give the advantage to let the right one in, but I, I think this film was completely excellent. <laughs> And Marty's puppets died. And Barry, your rebuttal, sir. Oh, I'm just going to, you know, I, and I respect your opinion, Ethan, but I'm going to disagree with it completely. I uh, I just, I thought from the beginning it just got off to the wrong foot. Um, I, I, it starts off really quietly, then it ends up, it begins with that really bombastic scene that for some reason the movie has to flash forward to and then flash back to and then go all the way back to. And um, I, I didn't really connect with the performances. I admire uh, Richard Jenkins and Elias Kateas especially, and I like what they were trying to do. But I thought Kateas in particular, I thought his performance didn't make a lot of. His character didn't make any sense. I don't think. I thought it was more of kind of a, pl- a walking plot device. As well, opposed I, to something I thought that was there was a way his character made sense, but I'd have to get into spoilers to say how but okay well um i thought that all the really great subplots from the original film were completely tossed aside and and uh as opposed to the woman who you know eventually you know becomes a vampire they use it basically as a as a a flaming special effect but i thought that was completely useless and unnecessary um and yeah i do miss the cgi snarling cats i do i thought that was just fine i have no problem with that scene um i i thought the i thought the kids did a fine job in the acting department i just didn't i don't think they had any chemistry and i certainly didn't feel anything for the love story this time i really didn't um I've, i i just don't think it's a brave movie i think you know it just certainly amped up the violence um it was certainly a more explicitly gory film than the original but i uh i didn't think that really helped the film at all um i don't think this is a story that's meant to take place in new mexico during the 80s i thought that was well, a really I, weird I, I, way sorry, to sorry i was just going to mention i i was reading a review uh by ed gonzalez of slant yeah. and i copied down a paragraph he had about this that addresses that and i can i can i read it out please but Reeves' application of Let the Right One In's study of human loneliness and the prickly crossplace between adolescence and adulthood isn't even the filmmaker's greatest coup. It's his rooting of the story in March of 1983 in, the, in a bleak region of New Mexico where no one moves to, only run, run away, runs away from. Reeves, who wasn't too much older than Owen in that year, prominently foregrounds a televised speech Reagan gave around that time. So Let Me In becomes impossible to read just as a story of a boy who feels awfully lonely. By setting the story in this this time of brutal economic discontent, of rampant divorce among baby boomers, Reeves gives Let Me In great gravitas, conflating the political with human 
feeling so that Owen's struggle becomes that of an entire nation of suffering, desperate, naive people looking for a savior. That's very well worded. But I disagree. It doesn't need to be 1983. It could have been, it could have been present day. And, and frankly, I, I think this story works better in Sweden. I really do. I don't think New Mexico is a good place for this story. It's, it's, you know, it, it, yes, the isolation is there. And yes, you know, Ronald Reagan certainly pontificating about the moral climate. I think that says a lot, obviously, about the, th- the themes in the movie. But I don't think it makes it a better film. And I think it gives it the movie baggage. I thought there was something actually strangely more universal about the really sparse uh, climate of the original film. Well, that's a well, no, but I was saying I thought was interesting about the movie and was a good a difference was that he made it about the American experience. That's what I'm just saying. I think that in a way justifies the movie's existence. But whose experience? I, mean, I don't know. I think that's a that's an idea of the American experience. I don't think that's the American experience, though. Oh, I trust me. I I knew a vampire <laughs> when I was twelve. <laughs> but in Canada. Oh, no, we don't have those there, just werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a badly made film, and I, and I agree with you. The car sequence is remarkable. I mean, it reminded me a lot of the, the ambulance sequence in Magnolia, which also, you know, great, really, you know, great reversal of gravity. But, I, yeah, this is, this is just one of these movies. I just don't think it's necessary. I really don't. Even if I had not seen Let the Right One In, I don't think I'd walk out of Let Me In being all that impressed. And I'm still not impressed with Chloe Moretz, and I don't think this validates... Matt Reeves is like the next great filmmaker. I really don't. I think Cloverfield did that more. Let's, let's right get then. to uh, Citizen Zuck. Citizen Zuckerberg, yes. Um, I'm so bummed. I'm the one person who didn't see it, but oh well. I'll well, see it this week. I'll just come on and say it. I like the film a lot. I don't like it better than Zodiac, and I don't think it's the best picture of the year, but I like the film a lot. Um, there, I had some issues with it, but I, I think it's a solid and, and very entertaining film. I think it's probably the best movie of the year. Best movie of the year? How come? Um, let's see. The, the, first of all, the script, amazing. And the direction by Fincher is amazing. Like, you could have just had, like, a monkey direct that movie, and it still would have been, like, good because the dialogue is so awesome and whatnot. But he makes it so much more than just people talking in rooms for two hours, which I thought was amazing. And... Um, uh, the act, the performances, like Jesse Eisenberg, I've I've always really liked him, but I had no idea he had that like in him. And Andrew Garfield, awesome too. And JT, JT, I, I thought he was quite good as well. And yeah. uh, the the twins, awesome. Yeah. Um, and the, I think too to me that kind of drove the movie really forward for me was the score by Trent Reznor, Atticus yes. Ross. Yes, it's going to be impossible for me to walk back to my dorm without thinking of that music playing. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> what were some of your issues, though? Just out of some of my issues. Um, on one hand, I think Aaron Sorkin's script is really solid. A lot of colorful dialogue and very funny. Like this is one of the most surprisingly funny films of the year because it's certainly a lot funnier than the book it's based on. I mentioned that I, I read Ben Mesrich's book, uh, The Accidental Billionaires, in January, and I could not put it down. I thought it was fantastic. And I think for the most part, the movie really captured that. And I think the movie is actually much funnier than the book, which I like. Um, my issue with Sorkin's script, I think there was some dialogue that felt like dialogue. And I think there was some dialogue that really, really, like, like for me, like the part of the movie, I, and I even told Marty after the film, like that, that was just lazy, was uh, the introductory scene of Sean Parker, the, the Timberlake character. Not a bad scene, but like the dialogue in that scene where it's like, oh, you're Sean Parker, the creative Napster who went under, but now you're living in a college dorm by yourself. Like to me, it felt like really lazy exposition. 
And there are a few scenes, and I understand the necessity for scenes like that, but there are times where I thought the dialogue didn't sound completely honest. It felt like it was obviously trying to cue in the audience as opposed to being real dialogue. Actually, this, there was one scene I thought was kind of cheesy like that, I will admit, where um, remember his friend was up to him. He was like, I wish there was a way you could know if someone was single or not. And then he like, oh. <laughs> then he runs back. I thought right, that right. was kind of... <laughs> yeah, then the light bulb turned on. Bing! Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I You mentioned Timberlake. I mean, for me, the film is very good, but I think it becomes a great film once the Sean Parker mo- character comes into the movie. Because, I mean, that character and Timberlake as that character, I think is the movie's real wild card that really, really pulls it off. I think Timberlake is so great playing this charismatic slime ball. I mean, he's really solid in that film. And I think that's the portion of the movie. Not only does it does the movie become so exciting and unpredictable at that point, but also the the court deposition scenes are like cut in half which i and i and i know like it's it's a really interesting structure and i appreciate that sorkin went with a really risky structure because like you said ethan i mean it's a very talky film but it's never boring and that's really saying something but i didn't really like the the deposition scenes i know they're necessary but i i didn't like them interrupting the flow of the movie i think the movie for the first hour i thought the momentum kept getting cut short by the by keep going back to the to the you know the the deposition hearings and i love that once it becomes them in california and about the loyalties being broken i felt the movie just really took off like a rocket i was going to make a good point but it escaped <laughs> didn't you love that club scene when Marty and I were talking about the design of that club scene where it's like they're really yelling and the music is really there and uh, it's like really honest for a chance it's like that scene in Fire Walk With Me when they're in the club and the, the music like drown it, it, there's even like subtitles yes yes I love that and that does have that line I always remember where the guy says I'm as empty as a fart that yeah, line has uh, I've always remembered that line for some reason <laughs> so what do you think of the movie Marty uh, no, I mean he pretty much covered what I thought too. Uh, I I thought all the performances like across the board were awesome. Yeah, I loved seeing a bunch of people that I didn't really know uh, pull off some really good characters. Yeah, those twins were hilarious, and uh, um, yeah, and Justin Timberlake, I thought it was great in that role. And um, yeah, I mean yeah, some of the scenes I didn't feel really necessary, and some of the exposition was kind of ridiculous. But for the most part, the the script was really sharp and the direction slick and the music was awesome. So yeah. no, I, overall, I thought it was a really great movie. So sweet. Yeah, definitely my, so far my favorite score of the year. I mean, it's, it's, uh, what was it? I, um, is it, let's it's see, on it's, Amazon for three bucks. Trent Reznor and the other gentleman. Atticus, Atticus Ross. Atticus he's Ross. Pro- thank he's you. He's a producer on uh, most of Nine Inch Nails albums. Yeah. It's, and it's, it, it's, it's like, it's not the, you know, you, you hear Trent Reznor's doing it like, hey, it's going to be like, mm, t- you know it's going to be like you know animal the whole way through no it's like it's it's these techno beats it's grunge rock and it's this beautiful orchestration and it really finds a really beautiful balance i mean i think it's it's one of the great movie scores of the year yeah they had the five, the first five tracks were downloaded for free for a while and then this week on amazon they had it for three bucks on mp3 download for a day and yeah, yeah it's just sounds I no, mean, i'm gonna get that soundtrack. i've heard the sound i've heard part of the yeah. soundtrack and i love it so it's an far. exciting soundtrack it really is and and like the best scenes you know like the the sequences like where he of course creates the face mash and you know and the, like i mentioned the club scene i mean like the best sequences in the movie i mean the 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 music helps the movie just the way like a great john williams score does like you can't even imagine the movie without that music oh i really I, like oh sorry go ahead ethan i was say I, th- I thought the the final song they used over the end credits was perfect too yeah definitely I was just going to say, uh, I love how the focus shifts from Jesse Eisenberg to the other characters, too, because they were just as interesting as yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, so I didn't feel like it was always on him, and I don't know, it just made his performance seem that much better, too, um, but anyway. 
What a great, wasn't it fun, Ethan, to see this cast? Like, on one hand, you know, you've got Garfield, who is excellent, and, you know, and talking about Runa, Runa Mara, you know, the, the future star of, of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but you also got Joseph Mazzello, the little boy from Jurassic Park, playing the, playing the programmer who works uh, for Zuckerberg. You've got John Getz as Zuckerberg's lawyer. This is the guy from The Fly who had his hand melted off. Like oh it, shit! Isn't that something? Like, yeah, like like yeah. all these all these great faces. Like it reminded me of like a Christopher Nolan movie. You're going, oh my god, that's Tom Berenger. Like like it was so much fun to like see these great actors and, and really great character roles. Rashida Jones, who I love from The Office. Yeah, yeah, great great movie. Cool. Who's that? Who's that actor's name? Who's in Art School Confidential too? I'm yeah, like Max Mangella. Max Mangella. Actually, I was gonna say, was he wearing brown face in the movie? Didn't it look? He looks like it looked like he was in brownface. I was, and his name sounded Indian, so I'm like, is is Max Minghella in brownface? I was kind of wondering that. Throughout I don't the movie. know. I, I I thought his face was that that tan pigmented in in Art School Confidential. I, I just want you to say brownface one more time. <laughs> brownface. <laughs> All right, let's move on to DVDs. Like, I, I've seen him in other movies, and he doesn't. He didn't. He looks very pale. Pasty. So I don't know. Okay. I was no, not Pacey. He's a thin young man. He should probably eat more, but uh, just pale. It was one of those actor things where he went up to uh, Fincher. He's like, I, you know, I'm gonna try my brown face for this role. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. Let's move to DVDs quick while we can. Home All video. Right. Since we got Blu-ray. Yeah. I don't know. Well, one of our favorite films from 2007 is finally being released the way it was meant to be seen. The only, well, not the only, but really the preferable way to see it, which is Grindhouse, a double feature with Planetara and Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof, also with the trailers. Uh, commentary for the trailers, commentary for the film. About time. This is the way it's meant to be seen. So, There's, have you heard about the the, the the quote unquote controversy about this? No, this controversy. What's it doesn't up? have a five point one lossless soundtrack, so it's not pristine audio. But it's a grindhouse movie, so it's yeah. But there yeah. are people who are like, I'm canceling my pre order. It's like you do realize we've been waiting three and a half years for this freaking movie to come out. It's like this thing's as packed as it's gonna get. Deal with it, people. That's just nerdy, right there. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's not geeky. That's nerdy. We represent yeah. geekiness. There you go. Okay. Um, Dave will talk about this in just a second. Beauty and the Beast, nominated for Best Picture in 1991, definitely one of the best animated movies ever made. Yes. Um, well, I'll, we'll get to it. Go ahead and read the rest. Of All right. Uh, Bones, season five. Um, the useless remake of The Karate Kid starring Jackie Chan useless uh, The Exorcist available both in the original version and in the version you never saw released 10 years ago to much critical derision in theaters now available on DVD and Blu-ray um, another useless remake the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street unfortunately starring Jackie O'Haley useless could not have put it better uh, Splice the new film um, from the director of Cube starring Adrian Brody and Sarah Pauly good film yeah, Vincenzo Natale not perfect but a, but a good film Yeah. Uh, John Huston two of his masterpieces The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of Sierra Madre both starring uh, Humphrey Bogart available on Blu-ray and DVD Bogey and then finally <laughs> Bogey and then Troll 2 which needs no introduction it's also on Netflix watch instantly as well as Blu-ray and DVD mm-hmm. you're, you're missing a release Barry <clears throat> which one am I missing the one you, I'm sure you don't want to talk about. Uh, Marty's Halloween costume. Oh, you know what? I didn't write it down. You didn't? I, you know, and it wasn't even a conscious choice. I didn't even. I just did not write it down. Well, I'm not going to say the name. You go ahead. Okay. So, so Marty, what did you want to be your Halloween costume for this year? Oh, the human centipede. Yes. And I would like to be in the middle. 
That's so disgusting. For those of you who listen to that joke, who don't get it, don't look it up. Don't don't Google it. Just move on with your life. Well, you don't you don't want to know. My hope is that this movie, since uh, was it Tom uh, Tom Six? Yeah, yeah. Tom Six has yeah. promised some sequels. I hope this is going to be the new like Police Academy. Like, oh no, the next one's got sixteen. The next we get one. to watch them back to back. It's already in production. Back to back, nice. Because hey, you said it. Back to back. There it is. That's great. We're That's back great. to front. Um, all right. Ah, yeah. um, no, apparently the next one's going to have sixteen people. In the human centipede, really? I want a dog to be in there too. I think that would be like that would be jacked up. And there was like there was this one guy. I can't remember where That's it was. Be an SNL skit, you know it. Well, if one guy said like, wouldn't it be great if a pregnant woman was in the mix? You know, because oh, she's no. attached. Like ah ah, is that oh. something? Yeah. Now there's a casting call. People are just drooling over. Like <laughs> I gotta get to the audition. Oh oh, just bad bad things. <laughs> All right, uh, Beauty and the Beast. How about we move on to that real quick? <laughs> yeah, let's yeah let's try to segue okay. to that. Yeah, let's try. <laughs> um, we Disney was kind enough to send me a copy of the two disc Blu-ray DVD. Um, actually, I guess it's a three disc set in that case. Uh, ahead of time, so I've been able to go through the movie with the commentary. And first of all, the transfer on this thing is gorgeous beyond words. Um, the scene, you know, the, the Beauty and the Beast, the, the the song when they're dancing in the CGI ballroom, looks. Amazing! It it really looks like they'd just done it. Did you tear up? No, but it's it was gorgeous. <laughs> Almost from just how beautiful it looked. Yes, but okay. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, Max Minghella's mom is a native of Hong Kong. So, wow, there it is. All right, we must figure this out. Ethan chimes he's not, in. He's not going to let it go. Uh, <laughs> but the the commentary, I got to listen to the commentary on Beauty and the Beast, and it's actually really good. It's got the uh, directors and and some other people on it, and it's actually some commentary is going to be really really dry. Yeah. But these guys kept it very interesting. They kept the the context of where Disney <clears throat> animation was at that point, and there's just some really interesting. They're, they're not afraid to call out jokes in the movie and where they've screwed up, and you know where right. the bearskin rug between behind Gaston's chair by the fireplace suddenly appears under his chair and. Like, look, kids, it's magic. Yeah. Um, but there's a spot where they're talking about, you know, Belle's song, how she's saying what she wants out of the world and whatever. And they, they, they definitely acknowledge up front that Little Mermaid opened a lot of doors for them. He's like, here's the, here's the difference here. Little Mermaid was really easy to write a song for because you know what? She wanted legs. That's really when it comes down to it. That's what she wanted. Right. So we got that, you know, one song, bam, you're done, it's all good. We had to write a song about how this girl has a unique vision of the world and wants to find someone who can share it with her and all this stuff. You can't get it done as easily. And they, it, it, it's actually pretty honest and I really enjoyed it. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't fall into that like self congratulatory no, like banter, no. which I hate. No, they get to the point where they were talking about when all the nominations came in and just how shocked they were mm-hmm. that it happened and you know, thrilled obviously, but yeah, it wasn't self no, they're very self deprecating. Cool. Sure. Cool. And let's move on to news. We've got a bit. Well, the news story that I have is uh not nothing nothing great. Um Starting from uh, the the Skywalker Ranch, we have some news uh, coming out that Lucasfilm in the next year or two will be releasing all of the Star Wars films in digitally converted 3D, starting with everyone's favorite, The Phantom Menace. These movies are going to be released in chronological order. The kicker to that is they're releasing the first one, and depending on how it does will depend on if they keep going with them. Mm. But here's the thing that I bring up, though, because like, and, and I find this a lot with my students you got to understand, like, we were there when this movie opened. We were, most of us were, like, in our late teens or 20s or whatever. A lot of the, a lot of my students were kids when Phantom Menace came out, and they liked the film. They remember uh, thinking it was bad. funny. I was one of those kids. Okay. 
And uh, okay, and obviously this does not apply to everybody, but all the same, you know, we got to remember the Phantom Menace did really have a large kid appeal, which a lot of people did not like. So they there is a chance. Those Galactic Senate hearing meetings. I will tell you, I was, I went crazy for those. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a chance. There is a chance that 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 plan, as as goofy as it sounds, could very well pull off. Because Wait. let's face it, the nostalgia factor is huge. Wait, but how, is it like one a year? Would it be like yeah. Phantom Menace twenty twelve? Yeah, they're saying, like it's planned for like 2017 or something like that. Yeah. Wow. So okay, so by like the, the time a new hope is like out, I could be like married or something, basically. <laughs> yes. Your, you your grandkids will be seeing it with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I've turned the page on Star Wars. I'm done. I've I've got the theatrical cuts on DVD. Oh, I thought you meant like you turned a page. Like in other words, like I thought you meant like you 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 decided to look at it with a new optimistic nope, light. But no, on. no, no, you're, no your I've hope moved is on. dead. I've moved on. I have the version I want. I'm never going to get that version on Blu-ray, so I'm willing to just ignore the crap. So you're basically going to join the fringe group of nerds who are going to try to boycott these movies. No, I wouldn't go that far. Did you hear about that? Because there's a there's a and I and I and yes, I respectfully call them a fringe group there's of nerds. A, there's a nerd movement going on. Yes, here. they're going to boycott. Here, here, here's why I wouldn't no. consider it a boycott. I, I'd have to care in the first place. Since I don't, I'm good. I you know I might no no I'm good. The only one of the of the pre, the only one version of the special editions and prequels that I will defend is the special edition of Empire Strikes Back. Okay, because this, that was that was an example of Lucas bringing the CG in and actually benefiting and making Cloud City look really magical and, and great. And the Wampa was really scary too at the beginning. And uh, removing Luke's girly scream. <laughs> that was a mistake. Well, but that you know, and again, I I'm not going to pay 15 bucks to go see it though in You're converted not? 3D. God no. But if we get a free screening, you gonna go with me? Oh. Like, come on, Dave. You know you want to see it. Oh. Jake Lloyd in 3D. Come on. Ah, yeah, I get to see Yippee in 3D. Yeah, the now, atrocity you, that is Jar Jar in three dimensions. I don't know, Dave. You sound like you really want to join this fringe group. I mean, can you yeah. can you just stand aside and like watch the world like rediscover Jar Jar Binks all over again? Don't you want to like go go to know, the theater I, with a flaming torch and no, a pitchfork? No, no, no. no. No, because the boycotting, they're gonna, the nerds are gonna be out there like protesting. We don't like the Star Wars. No, Dressed I like just, Yoda. Exactly. <laughs> I just don't care. So yeah, no, I'm not. I, I'm just. It's just fallen off my radar of any kind of interest. At okay. All. Okay. Well, again, and the my my footnote to this story <laughs> is that not not to be outdone by Mr. Lucas, um, our favorite Mr. Cameron, James Cameron, announced officially April 2012, near far wherever you are. Titanic is returning to the to the film to, to theaters in 3D digitally oh digitally redo, done 3D Three. but hey Kate Winslet nude scene 3D I'm there opening day maybe I'll finally see the movie then yeah, dead bodies bobbing up and down in the water in 3D I want to see the, I want to see guy, the, sweet. the guy, guy falling off falling down and banging his hitting head the on. propeller on the way down yeah oh. Awesome. That's why that movie won Best Picture. And made <laughs> oh yeah, that's the only thing people remember. They don't remember like making out in the car, or, like him teaching no, her to spit. Fall, 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 fall. Bang. Bang. Going down the the car, the making the. I remember in the theater, people going, "Oh, you know, like high fiving each other during the trailer." It happened. Yeah, oh, yeah. everyone's like, "Oh, that's awesome." <laughs> okay, have you got any other news, sir? That's it. All right, Ethan, why don't you go next, sir? Uh, the trailer for True Grit came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked what I saw. It's a really good trailer. It was kind of short though. Like the movie comes out pretty soon. And yeah. Then, um, one more. Do you think we're gonna have like a longer, like two and a half minute trailer to follow, or? 
I I would hope so. But uh, I'll say based off this, Roger Deakins better be uh, getting an Oscar. No joke. Fine. It looks gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and Jeff Bridges looks like a great great casting choice for for Rooster Cogburn. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. as much as I rail against uh, against remakes and all. Dude, that looks good. Well, I like what the Coen Brothers said, and I, you know what? I shouldn't even say this because I I know it's. Let me just let me just just give my own rebuttal. Well, because I'm about to say that you know the Coen Brothers have claimed that they are adopting. They're not going to remake the original film. They're remaking the book. You know, they're just doing a different version of the book. Although, of course, that's what Matt Reeves said. About. I was just going to say. That's what Matt Reeves said about Let the Rain. I'm done. Okay, but yes, that looks very promising. I'm really looking forward to catching that. You got anything else, Ethan? Sorry, before we do that, move on. Uh, uh, Marty, did you actually see Let Me In, or are you just letting your brother poison you? <laughs> no, I was against it from the start, so I'm, uh, yeah, I, haven't, I haven't watched it. I don't know if I want to give it a chance or not. I know that's very unfair. See it on Netflix Instant Watch. Don't don't add to its box office total. Mar- Marty, I think me and you probably agree more on movies than you and him. So Maybe. I don't know. What's your, trying I gotta, to turn I look against your, each other, Ethan. I'm trying to point. At I got to look at your top ten. You lists. bet your hackers isn't on that list. Okay, let's move on. Oh, but Freddy got fingered is. Oh. Okay. Um, Did Social Network of- remind you guys of another website? <laughs> I'm done. I'm not saying anything else. I wasn't gonna. Bring I just that. wanted to make you're a the cheap one shot. who brought that up. Hey, I just hey, want that for the record. I didn't say what. I didn't say anything. What? What? Well, I didn't say anything. What? I give my comment a seven out of ten. What? 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 What is it, guys? Come on! It's awesome. It's amazing. Come on! What? But who would be the Sean Parker in that situation? <laughs> okay, let's move on. This let's is going to get us nowhere good at all. whatsoever. we can discuss that off the air. Uh- <laughs> you know, it's cool. Not a billion million dollars. It's a billion dollars. <laughs> okay. Did, did you see the Paranormal Activity two trailer? Which one was that? There's was a full it, length it, one now where they actually show oh, a lot I, of footage I, I, from the I movie. I've still only seen the short one. It's uh, it's not great because I, <laughs> I, I I like the teaser trailer because the teaser trailer made me think okay it's going to be about the return of Katie but like it looks like now it really is what we feared that it's going to be a new family, new house no. but somehow like in a really contrived way she figures into the story and her baby who I guess was adopted mm. figures into the story. You always got to throw a baby in there, right? And like the trailer shows like the baby like levitating in his crib. <laughs> Was this like Ghostbusters too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I don't know, like <laughs> <laughs> the baby just flies out the window. <laughs> I am so paying twelve, thirteen, fifty to see that. <laughs> the funny thing is, on the website, like you can like go in and zoom in on that one picture, whatever you want, and it's like, ooh, the baby's here, but it's not in the reflection. Oh, right, wow. and the dog's not in the reflection too. Like, oh, okay, so it's got like a oh. demon dog watching over it. And, but there's a scene uh, in the trailer that, that that rips off the first one where the mom goes in to check on the baby and like I guess like the ba- and I'm not making this up I guess like the baby's blanket wraps around her and pulls her out of the room so so I've, I, I I was optimistic about this movie a month ago not so much anymore <laughs> alright then what else you got Ethan on a more somber note uh, Sally Menke Arthur we're gonna Penny. save that for the end oh oh yeah. Should've, why didn't you tell me ahead of time? <laughs> I, I, well, because I was ahead of one of my news stories. That's why I was going last. That's okay. Okay. We're gonna end well, with the that. only other thing I have is that um, Year Zero, the Nine Inch Nails album, is being turned into a miniseries by HBO and BBC. That's interesting. Are you, oh. are you guys familiar with this album? Do I need to explain the concept? You do. Or? You do. Please. 
Um, basically, it's like this set in this post-apocalyptic future where uh, the United States is basically this like right-wing, super-Christian, uh, apocalyptic place, and uh, it's all about that. And you know, it, it came out like a few years ago, so it was all when Bush was doing his thing, and it was really politically relevant. But yeah, it's a good album, so I'm interested to see. And uh, Reznor knows has a lot of connections in the film world so you can see like Romanek directing or maybe even Fincher directing episodes of it so. that'd be cool is there like a V character to like help the oppressed I mean is it that kind of a story or like it's not no, it's not like the wall or anything it's just sort of variations on themes and whatnot. Hmm. Well, cool sounds great that, that's great I mean that that makes me really happy when I hear that a great concept album is being made to a film because some of these like HBO shows over the years like they're just like for everything like the Sopranos or like this Boardwalk Empire we got now, they have they have stuff like they had this show that like the hype was like it's got the most realistic sex scenes ever on TV. I don't even remember the name of it. It lasted like three um, episodes and it's on DVD. You know the one I'm talking about? Uh, tell me you love me. I think that's it. Yeah, like that's all I heard about it. Like no, I didn't hear about the plot. The actors like the most realistic sex scenes you've ever seen on HBO. Like, <laughs> what's with that voice? Where'd that come from? <laughs> Next on HBO. Wow. All right then. Uh, okay, I'll crank through my stories and then we will get to the more somber news. Uh, first of all, apparently Sony's getting ready to offer Emma Stone the role of Mary Jane Watson in the new Spider-Man movie. I think this is a pretty interesting pick. At least they're going with a natural redhead this time. Yeah, and more talented. Or, 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 no, no, no. Maybe, too early, too early maybe, to maybe, say that. Maybe better fitted to that role is probably a better way to put that, I think. Yeah, let's, let's be honest about this. Kirsten Dunst has let us down, and some of her movies have, but she's not a bad actress. She's, no, 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 no. And I didn't a, mean that. In a handful of movies, she's excellent. She hasn't, like, fulfilled, like I mentioned, Interview with the Vampire or, like, Virgin Suicide. She hasn't really fulfilled that. And, and let's face it, we're tired of her as Mary Jane Watson. And that's really what it comes down to. Okay. Because, cause, like, you know, because let's face it, Emma Stone's great, but I don't think she's, like, I, I wouldn't say she's on that level yet. Not yet, well, but I think she's better for I, I haven't seen EZA yet, but isn't she like kind of too good for this to be like the side girl? The same in the way that movie? Andrew Garfield's too good to be Peter Parker. It, yeah, but they locked him in before he got big, so he's true. So they, they knew he was going to rock this role. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting pick. Um, if it, they go with it, that's great. So those are two actors that like not only do they have marquee value now, it gets but, me somewhat interested in, in this yeah, new movie. Two which, good actors, and that but that's what the Spider Bus was the first one had too. Like oh my gosh, the guy from the Ice Storm and Wonder Boys is is playing Peter Parker. This is going to be interesting. And there's the girl from the Virgin Suicides, and there's the director of the Evil Dead. This has this is promising. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, in, in news of uh, I don't even know what kind of news this is. It's 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 annoying. Apparently Fox and Ridley Scott are arguing about. How much the movie's going, uh, the Alien prequel movie is going to cost, and what what rating it's going to be? Because Fox wants a PG thirteen, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Idiots, I, morons. And I think I and I think Ridley Scott wants like two hundred million to make. Alien, well, that which is frankly, a lot of money. Yeah, frankly, that is <laughs> well, a lot to be expensive. making an Alien. I, is it is so? Is he ever going to get around to doing that shot for shot remake of Norbit starring Russell Crowe instead <laughs> of uh, Eddie Murphy? Or <laughs> one can only hope. I would pay to see that. Would you? Yeah, because that, that's, that's a remake of a bad film. People need to redo Norbit to, to erase the stink that's Norbit. But anyway, yeah. that's C. Who is Russell Crowe going to play in this movie? Do we know yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, my understanding was it was going to be like Planet of the Aliens. That there weren't even going to be humans in this. It was going to be like a lot of, 
you know, a lot of aliens. It was going to be about the, the, the ecological culture of where they live. And, and it's going to be everything about uh, the giant space jockey that they find on the ship at the beginning of, of Alien. Yeah. And that it was going to, like, basically lead up to the events of, of the 1979 movie. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't think he needs the money necessarily. But this PG-13, seriously... Yeah, give him two hundred million dollars because you know what they gave him that much money for Kingdom of Heaven. So for Pete's sake, give him give him two hundred mil for Alien, which you know is going to make money. I don't think he needs to. I don't know that the movie calls for that much. I mean, obviously we haven't seen a script, so we don't know if it's if it is the Planet of the Aliens. Sure, you, you can make that argument easily, but I just I've got I've got a solution to this this problem. <laughs> okay, don't make it. <laughs> sure, go and make sense, Ethan. I see how you are. Do you think this is too good to be true, Ethan? Like, this is something like Alien fans have been wanting for so long. I mean, should should Ridley Scott just move on at this point? You think? Well, I think I think Ridley Scott's kind of lost it, to be honest. So I'd rather someone else direct. Like, oh, that's right. You didn't like Robin Hood. Hood. That's I funny. didn't actually. I didn't see it. <laughs> but ah, oh, been bashing but, it all summer and you haven't seen it. It's a great movie. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Ethan. I saw Old Dogs for you, man. Oh, I took one for you, man. I saw old you. dogs for you. Okay, fine. I'll you, you owe him Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. You owe him Robin Hood. I can't believe I have to watch that piece of crap. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's well, this guy, Carl Rinch, was going to direct it. I just think it kept in tradition with the Alien series because it's always like a newcomer who directs these movies and is yeah. awesome. Like Ridley Scott, when he did his, he'd only made one other movie. It was James Cameron's second movie, David Fincher's first movie. Uh, Janae's first American movie, so I yeah. think it should be a newcomer. That's a good point. All right, then. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then my final bit of straight movie news is that apparently at some point Ben Affleck was being considered to direct Superman as well. Hmm. And he's since taken himself out of the running, but apparently Darren Aronofsky is in the running now. Interesting. I, I want to know everyone's thoughts on the possibilities of this. This basically seems like the equivalent of Emma Stone being offered uh, Mary Jane. It's like he's too good he's for too, it. He's too good for it. Why, why would you like? It's like that's like two years of his life that he could spend making his Noah's Ark movie in space. Remember that? Yeah. Well, remember he was also he was attached to Robo, RoboCop, so it's it's obvious he is looking to do a big studio film at some point. Uh, I think he and Duncan Jones are probably the more the most intriguing directors of the list that's out there. Just because a big part of Superman isn't that he's indestructible, it's the humanity of the guy. And his struggles, you know, being essentially invincible and being a god, he could just say, screw you while you're screwing it up, I'm taking over the earth. And you but, know, and they did that perfectly in Superman Returns, but everyone hated that movie, so... Yeah, yeah that's true, that's true. I, I think that had more to do with the kid and, and Superman picking up a giant, you know, island made of kryptonite. I think that was your problem with the movie, Dave. But that's true. A lot of people just hated it outright, and right. I didn't. Those were my serious problems with it. They didn't like that he was a nice, happy superhero, and that you know, it was like, no, we want dark. Which is Superman, though. That's the thing. Superman's always been the good guy. He's the Boy right. Scout. And it was a very faithful movie, both both in terms of, of its comic book origin, just not necessarily with the subplot with the kid. You're right. That's definitely on a left field. But in terms of honoring the comic book and honoring the previous movies, it's definitely a faithful movie, and people didn't want that. They want, they want reboot. So yeah, I, I don't know. Re- I think, wait, reboot the Canadian animated TV show from the nineties? I think they want, they want that? that too. That wow. <laughs> I I I'm with you, Dave. I think this is this is an interesting thing, and if and if he takes on this project, all of a sudden I would definitely be really interested in it. I'm worried that this is going to be just like what David Fincher had happen to him when he made Alien Three. I just I'm afraid he wouldn't get the control but, and it wouldn't be his film. And that, but that's why he walked away from Robocop, Robocop in the first place. But, you think well, Warner Brothers? Would, I, I think with Nolan's producing it, right? Yeah, they're they're going to well, be pretty hands off. Like Nolan would just be kind of be he'd be like 
safeguarding him or something. He'd be like, every time Warner Bros. would be like, that's too weird. Christopher Nolan would like step in and like... Dark Knight Inception, shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, But still, Aronofsky, I, I think he can do better things with his time, whether it comes to movies or having sex with Rachel Weisz, but... <laughs> Well, he's also been attached to doing, uh, I think it's Garth Ennis' Preacher, which is a lot darker comic, which would probably be closer to his speed. But, you know, we're we're talking about it like we know the guy. I mean, certainly yeah. let's let him do whatever the heck he wants, because I would he's not He's always have, stretching himself with every movie in some way. Who the heck would have thought that the guy who made The Fountain and Requiem would be able to make a movie like The Wrestler and make it fresh and make it a great film, as opposed to being just another sports movie? Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, let us move on to the sad news yep. of the day. We lost quite a few people this past week. Yeah. Uh, quite yeah. a few. Uh, let's start off with Sally Menke. Uh, uh, wow. Quentin Tarantino's longtime editor. collaborator, yeah. editor. I saw a clip with him where he said, essentially, he feel, truly feels that the first draft of a, of a script is actually the rough cut of a movie that he's done with his editor. And that just shows how collaborative he was with her. And that's just, Wow. She sounds like she went hiking on one of those obscenely hot days in L.A. and got overcome by the heat and, yeah. Uh, tragic, tragic, terrible death and a total, complete genius. I mean, the editing of Tarantino's movies is, I mean, that's one of the landmark things about them. And we look at something like, you know, Coppola's movies, it's the cinema photography and, and Scorsese's films, it's the energy of it. But with Tarantino, the, I mean, the editing is, is such a factor of how he tells those stories and, and the information that they give and how much we how much time we spend with those characters. And, and they're so integral to his to his, to his his work. And, yeah, she, she's definitely going to be missed. That's that's a huge collaboration right there. Yeah. Like, well, it's funny when you watch, you know, Death Proof or uh, Inglorious Bastards, they had the, the, the high sallies. Did you ever see those clips? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, you kind of got to start to, you know, really, it's got to be a cool person for everyone saying hi to this person. You know, just kind of like, it, it gives you a sense of loss as well, oddly. Well, I was telling Marty, like, when Thelma Schoonmaker, you know, who's the, the editor for, for Martin Scorsese, I mean, when, when she's going to be gone, I mean, I'm going to feel that as a huge loss because, not only just because I taught a class on, on, on Scorsese, but like, you know, most people who are fans of his and know her, I mean, she's like this, this beautiful little old lady who like cuts together these extraordinarily violent movies for Scorsese, but she gets him. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's the important thing about a collaborator. I mean, if you really, you know, if you can have an editor who really understands the rhythm of the movie, understands the story, I mean, that's, that is so valuable because like, you know, a lot of, a lot of filmmakers, they don't have that. A lot of these, you know, these guys who are just making a movie for a studio or whatever, I mean, they get whatever editor is given to them and, and you hope that they don't just like butcher the footage and just come up with a movie trailer as opposed to a movie that lives and breathes. Yes. So uh, let's move on to Arthur Penn. Do you want to? Yeah, I love Arthur Penn. I mean, uh, you know, it's easy to just mention Bonnie and Clyde. <clears throat> what a landmark film that is. And certainly the the whip the whip shot editing of that movie is, you know, one of the things that makes it so violent because you feel like you're taking the hits along with them. But uh, I do want to talk about a movie he did called Night Moves. Uh, this is a movie that Marty's like, I got to see. And, and I'm so glad I did. Night Moves is one of, it's up there with like The Long Goodbye. It's one of the best uh, modern day neo-noir films. And it's uh, Gene Hackman, one of his best, most underrated films. Um, it also stars Melanie Griffith. Night Moves has one of the most extraordinary endings I've ever seen in a movie in my life. And I'm not just saying that as hyperbole. The, the, the ending of Night Moves is so spectacular and so shocking and so incredible. I actually like wa- went back and watched the ending two more times because I thought it was so great. Um, so I highly recommend Night Moves. It's just the example of the kind of uncompromised, gritty 70s filmmaker that Arthur Penn was. He was also the director of Penn and Teller Get Killed. Nice. So... 
he didn't just do gritty gritty action movies. He did a lot of interesting films. He did a film with uh, with let's see Gene Hackman and Matt Dillon called Target. Um, yeah, he's, he's, his his filmography is very colorful. But I mean, of course, everybody always mentions Bonnie and Clyde. But uh, no, he's made a lot of good he, films. He did uh, Little Big Man, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah that's with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good film. Cool. All right. Um, let's see. Let's move. I, you know, I'm going to drop him from the list. Honestly. Um, Ouch. No, just because we're running short on time. Um, but Tony oh. Curtis was a huge one as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, very few actors can do drag as well as Tony Curtis. <laughs> um, and I say that with all due respect. I mean, like, there have been so many movies since Some Like It Hot, um, and there's only one Some Like It Hot. I mean, the, the you know, it's White not, Girls is no Some Like It Hot. No, White, no. white Chicks. White Chicks. White Chicks. Yeah, and if nuns, I'd seen it, I would have gotten Nuns it on the Run was no, you know, it's like... That movie was such a classic, and it has it has nothing to do with the fact that he looked good as a woman or didn't look good as a woman. The thing is that he had such incredible chemistry with Jack Lemmon, and he was so. I mean, they were all in their element working for Billy Wilder. But uh, no, Tony Curtis, Tony Curtis did so many good films, and he was such a great actor because like he really got it. He really got the, you know, he had a sense of humor about himself. He is, of course, the father of Jamie Lee Curtis, the husband at one point to Janet Lee. Um, he played Harry Houdini. He's my favorite Harry Houdini, by the way. He played Houdini, and his wife uh, Janet Lee at the time played uh, played his assistant. Um, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm forgetting like some pivotal films, but frankly, I mean, I I just love Tony Curtis. I mean, is there any you could think of that I'm not mentioning? Not offhand, no. Yeah, he's a great. His, I mean, his, go ahead. His Cary Grant impression was pretty. Yeah, killer. it's spot on. It's it's wonderful, and it was so funny. Yeah, so certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to to all their all their friends and families. This is a real loss, and it's, it sucks that so many great artists who have worked uh, in front of and behind the camera all, all passing away this week. Yes, and then finally, um, one who probably shaped your childhood just like mine, Barry, Stephen J. Cannell, passed away, the creator of, oh my goodness, like he's done so many flipping things. He created the A-Team, that's probably the, the most thing that he's most famous for. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pulling up his IMDb <clears throat> just because I'm going to miss stuff otherwise. Uh, let's see here. The greatest American hero. Oh, boy. Uh, man, I hate IMDb's new layout. Have I said that recently? <laughs> oh, man, I hate it, too. We hate it. Um, the Rockford Files. Yep. Hawaii Five O. <laughs> USA. If you watched USA, Silk Stockings. <laughs> Which, oddly. I remember Silk Stockings. <laughs> oh, yeah. But the, the commish. I mean, the guy's made a crap. 21 Jump Street. Wow. Um, what the wise guy, wise guy yeah, Stingray, we're... yeah, he's done a lot of stuff, and uh, yes, he, he he was he was responsible for a good chunk of of testosterone filled '80s TV. I think it's fair to say, outside of like you know like the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> we need those shows. We need those shows. Yes, excellent. And I've got one more news story. Oh, you okay. just may remind me. Uh, did you guys hear that Russell Crowe wants to bring a movie version of The Equalizer? No, the, you know the '80s show with Edward Woodward as the Equalizer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this was the show about a guy who basically, like, you know, he was kind of like a hitman, but he was more like a vengeance guy. You would come to him. You know who and, should play him like 20 years ago? Rutger Hauer. Oh yeah, Rutger Hauer would have been ideal. But yeah, yeah but now uh, Ru- Russell Crowe is actively pursuing yeah. this movie. Is Russell Crowe like even a movie star anymore? Like, what was Aww. the last big movie he was in? Last big movie he was in. See, you can't think of one. I'm, I'm thinking. Right. I'm thinking. Uh, a good year. No. <laughs> that was terrible. Uh, Virtuosity? Oh, man. Virtuosity. Such a piece of garbage. Shall we just go American to Gangster. American Gangster. Ah, oh, there. See? I did it. Okay, done. Three years ago. Three years You're ago. You're sweating. <laughs> you broke out a sweat trying to think that. I did. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break, and then we will be right back after this. 
Sue Ellen Greenblatt is a real person, not an internet celebrity. So we've enlisted Billy Flynn and the vicar to help her tell her story. Geek Radio Daily gives me geeky news about movies, new DVD releases, even comics and gaming. Geek Radio Daily makes me feel special. Ah, yeah. Womanly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the episodes are just 15 minutes, perfect for my commute, or for just geeking out while I'm at the office. Mm. All in one concise love package. Ooh, the package, baby. Uh Uh-huh. And the best part is that it's a daily cast, so I'm always in the loop. Sometimes I listen to it out of the bath, put on little outfits. Ah! It makes me want to invite all my friends over to show how refreshed I feel. Mm, a slumber party, baby. What? That's not what I said. Get out the chocolate mousse. Duct tape. Oh, get out of here, you freaks. Geek Radio Daily. One 15-minute podcast provides 15% of the USDA-recommended daily allowance of geeky goodness. Subscribe through iTunes or visit geekradiodaily.com. My name is unfortunately Rodrigo Cortez. I'm guilty of birth, and this is Screen Geeks Radio. And we're back to discuss this week's topic, which is film school. So basically, we're just going to talk about our film school experiences, both as teacher, both as a student, and both as a veteran of film school. So, uh, and the guy who's going to be quiet. <laughs> well, you know, you, you've taken film classes, have you? No, no? never. Oh, well, never, you know what? Because you, you don't go to any of my film school classes. There you go. Exactly. Well, because yeah. you're always working, so I can't. Yeah. I can't stupid, Dave, ditch work to go to school. Stupid yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> Thought about doing like University of Phoenix film school. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, you know, let's start off with Ethan, because Ethan is currently a student in film school. And Ethan, please tell us what you're learning right now and uh, some of your favorite film school experiences and whatnot. Okay, yes, I uh, am a freshman at Concordia University in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. My major is film studies. I am currently taking history of film to 1959, uh, film aesthetics and English-Canadian film. Now, the thing with uh, all of these classes is that they're all long. They're all four hours long. How long are your, the classes you teach typically? 4.30 to 7.05, so about two hours and 40 minutes. Four hours with a break wow. in between. Do you, do you allow breaks? Yeah, yeah. I usually start off like I'll lecture about the film for about ten, five, ten minutes just to get them an idea of what they're in for and the history. We watch the film, and then we take about a 10-minute break and then Q&A for the rest of the class. What's like your um, kind of attitude towards your students? Because I think a lot of my teachers, they've kind of developed a bit of a condescension, be a little condescending a bit, just a bit. Like, because like in our syllabus, I remember um, from my history of film class, my teacher said, yes, you will watch black and white films this year. And maybe you will even like some of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know. Was that about the jackass joke you told you told last week? How all your students want to see jackass? Yeah, like, well, I I play that joke whenever whenever jackass comes up because like I'll ask like, did you guys see Wall Street? Money never sleeps, and like two people rose their hand. I'm like, what are you guys all waiting for jackass 3D? But no, what what I do is, and uh, you know, it sounds completely like I'm just patting myself on the back by saying this, but every every year at the end of the school year, they have this thing where like. With they, my students like have a survey where they ask like what they think you're a teacher, or whatever. And, and the thing that I always score really high in, uh, more apparently more than my colleagues, so I probably shouldn't say that. But apparently, what I really score high in is the respect I have for my students. It always comes across, and that's and that's and I always tell them like, look, ten years ago I was a student too, and like you know, movies are like books. You can't possibly read every book. You can't see every movie. And you know, for me, the class is about discovering. 
And I always tell my students that like, I always want you guys to be in here and you know, I don't care what you guys say outside of class, but in this class, your opinion counts. And I definitely want to hear whatever it is, whatever it is and film is subjective. So no, I, I always let my students know that, uh, that their opinion matters and I really want them to hear it. And I want them to discover these films and to change their mind over the weekend. Um, we watched a, I'll, I'll let you, we'll get back to the discussion, but I'll say real quickly, we watched a film over, uh, this past Thursday called bone. It's the first movie that Larry Cohen ever did. It's, uh, it's a really, really edgy, vicious, whip-smart whip uh, black comedy. came out in the 70s with the Affid Cotto. Um, and at the end of the class, one of my students raised his hand. He said, you know what? I got film shock. I have no idea how I feel about this movie. I'm still discovering it in my head. And I said, that's great, man. Well, I bet on Tuesday you're going to have a different take on it. So, we'll, on, so sure enough, on this Tuesday's class, I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is ask Josh what he thought of uh, bone. So anyway, so I'm sorry you feel like your teacher's like, you don't know film. You don't know well, anything. The thing is, I kind of laugh along with them because I'm sure most of my student, his student, my colleague or my, you know, my fellow students Classmates. are kind of that way. So, yeah. but uh, well, the thing is too, two of my teachers, the uh, history and the aesthetics one, they're both kind of older guys. The aesthetics one, he's actually one of the founders of the program, in fact, and he's like 100 years old. Awesome guy, though. He has a heavy Texan accent, which I don't know how there's a Texan living in the French capital of Canada. But And uh, though my, my English-Canadian film teacher is actually a really young guy. He's like only 30. And uh, he even admitted he's like, I'm not a big Eisenstein guy. And when I like um, mentioned like um, the Maisels brothers in one of his class, he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, cool. So I don't know. Maybe you're more like that guy. He's a cool guy, though. You mentioned Eisenstein. Have you had the chance to like? Have any of your teachers made you watch um, Ivan the Terrible, Part One or Two, or both? No, I, I'm excited to see those. Like, I just sometime in my life. But I know I think Potemkin is coming up in one of my classes, oh, and that's one of my film. favorite films. Yeah, so it'll be yeah. cool just to watch it again. And you're right, Ethan. You really do have a leg up. The fact that you've seen Battleship Potemkin. I mean, it, it helps that you even know what it is. But the fact that you've actually seen it. I mean, a lot of film students just going to film class. I mean, like. And I've had that too, you know. I don't want to make it like all my students are, are sponges to be. No, I got like a few students like, well, you know, if it doesn't have the word "bad boys" in the title, I don't see it. You know, I have those kind of students. So, do they run websites? Sorry. Okay. Oh. oh. Wow. You, it's cool. A billion guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to derail it there, but I just couldn't resist. Well, I was gonna say though, um, with like screenings of movies, you just you just have like a big projector you never yeah. get like yeah, i guess you can never get like a film print that'd be cool but i'd love to do that um we do have a local theater that like um has has offered that like if you guys ever have a print you know just just let me know um but it's a it's a really old school theater this is the theater that we know downtown oh the, the one, one smells like feet that, yeah okay. i i'm always hesitant to bring it up because dave is always quick to point out it smells like feet Actually, but it's I, gotten better they, they, i they like put, they put odor eaters in the theater so it's okay. i like this theater but anyway the manager um i think it's a different manager but i know at one point he said like you know if we ever want to do that but no we uh, you know it's just a projector with a with a with a pretty a good sized screen but it's not like you know you know 2001 on the screen we show is not like watching it on the big screen obviously well, we have a we have uh, for my history and my aesthetics classes are in the same uh, auditorium, and it's like awesome. It's like being in a big theater. So you're jealous. But yes, our uh, yes. English Canadian film class is basically like it's like an art house theater almost being situated in. It. It's very like narrow, and the screen isn't very big. Sorry, my mom's calling me. We have a caller. No, it's, it's a on. voice. It's a voicemail. Right. I can just whatever. okay. 
back to what I was talking about, though. Um, but I find with screenings of movies sometimes, like, I'll admit, sometimes I just kind of zone out a bit. Like, we watched this, we had a class on German Expressionism, and to be honest, we watched this movie Waxworks, and to be completely honest, it kind of went in one eye and out the other. You know what I mean? I yeah. was kind of drifting in and out of sleep. Like, do, do you find ever slimes you're just not passionate? Like, uh, your students just clearly are not into the films you're screening, or...? Oh yeah, that's that's the week I show Birth of a Nation. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I show Birth of a Nation, um, at least half of the class uh, they always they all they, after two thousand one. I have at least one or two always asking me if I if I did that to hurt them purposely. And then one weird guy was like, "Barry, that was amazing." <laughs> yeah, it it is like that. I mean, you never know what they're gonna think or what they're gonna take from it. But uh, um, I'm trying to think this semester. I'll get back to that. But no, I mean, you know, inevitably I always have to show like a few movies that are, that's important for them to see, you yeah, know, and historically I think wise, but exactly, not really but, a great, a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. birth of a nation is a big one. Cause I think if you're teaching a class about the history of American cinema, I think that's one of the most important ones. And I think it's important that you see why that movie's brilliant and you see why that movie's disgusting and you experience it as well as read about it. Cause I think it's just one of these movies you, you just, you have to see for yourself. Well, I find in my English Canadian film class that's the biggest case because a lot of Canadian films are not, you know, too exciting. Well, there's this is done no by real Cronenberg. Multi, there's no real Canadian. Well, yeah, but we watch like like old like really old Canadian movies or some documentaries. The only uh, good reaction really any of them have gotten is this week we watched some animated shorts. Mm-hmm. That was the only like good reaction. Usually, it's like you get a lot of. A lot of shuffling in the chair. Yeah, and checking phones, and I, oh, I guess that didn't translate. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Not so much. Good call, theater Marty. of the mind. Good call, Marty. Well, I lost the puppet because I knew it wasn't working. So sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this is a question, Ethan, because I really, I really don't know this. What, like, um, I always say, like, you know, and this is just something I've been taught that. Like the uh, the Renaissance for German filmmakers, like when Werner Herzog and Wim Wenders and Rainier Fassbinder came out, that was like when German cinema really found its footing and really escaped, you know, the cloud of World War Two. What what do you think is like? And I know this maybe you're not even at this point in class, but what do you think is like the the Renaissance for Canadian filmmakers? Well, the thing is, I actually just learned this this week, and I think is really interesting how there is this conspiracy theory that. Canadian cinema with that the Britain was trying to convince us to make all this propaganda to get the United States to join World War II. So, and uh, so we were trying to really at this point to start making documentaries. There's this uh, program called Challenge for Change. It was trying to say, you know, we are Canadian. We make important movies. But the thing is, we just never caught up. We still we even say in our class, we're kind of a, a and when in film wise, we're a nation of no identity. Hmm. So, yeah, that's harsh. It's kind of embarrassing. There's some really cool like uh, Canadian horror movies that came out, huh? but uh, I guess that doesn't really. I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, I gotta go. You know, if I think about guys like Ivan Reitman and Cronenberg and Adam Goyan, I mean, I, I think that is a distinct identity. I mean, I mean, you know, I guess it's just the level of importance. But I mean, I wouldn't say that Steven Spielberg is more important than Adam Goyan. I'd say he's just very different and very different approach to the way they portray life and, and human human character. I mean, I think it's very distinct. Like the way Adam Egoyan did something like, for example, the sweet hereafter, 
it would be so different from the way like we would do it out here. I mean, it would be a TV movie of the week. It would be, you know, Steven Spielberg with a with a Spielbergian glow coming in through the bus windows and some crap like that. Goyne did it in a way that really like all of his movies are so much about human character, human nature. And, you know, whereas like, you know, Cronenberg is so much about like forget human character, forget heart. It's all about the animalistic soul, the flesh that's underneath. And I think I think that's really that's really important because we don't really have an American equivalent of that. I mean, you know, as well as anybody, like when they talked about the human centipede, it's like, ah, oh, yes, like a Cronenberg approach to horror. I mean, that's really saying something, I think. Yeah, the thing is, Canada, they, yeah, we were having like a genre film renaissance for a while. Not just that, but like Black Christmas was Canadian. Yeah, Bob uh, Clark, absolutely. Ginger Snaps? Brew. That was Canadian, right? Yeah, it was Canadian. Yeah, Strange yeah, yeah, Brew. Yeah, I like Ginger Strange Brew. Not a horror movie, but a classic all the same. Yes. Yeah. But, the yeah. thi- but the thing is, back in the day, those movies were easy to fund. And nowadays, basically the Canadian Film Board, because we have the most, cons- not the most conservative government, that's a ridiculous thing to say, but our government really hates the arts. So basically, to get a Canadian movie funded for the government, you have to have a shot of donuts, hockey, ice fishing... <laughs> Maple syrup. Poutine? Poutine, yes. That is a classic. And they're all wearing uh, toques. There was a a, a vampire movie called Blood and Donuts that I actually liked. And Cronenberg's got a part in it, too, that came out of Canada. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I heard about that one. Anyway. I think it's worth noting that one of the definitive, if not the greatest Christmas movie about the American Christmas experience is made by a Canadian. I think that's a really valid and great point. He, you know, not only did did Clark make a masterful movie, but he understood our nostalgia to the point like, yes, we all want to pretend like our Christmases were like that. We all want to like relate to that movie because that movie speaks so much to the American experience, not made by an American. And speaking of that, they... uh during a let me in yesterday they showed a trailer for score a hockey musical which is the opening night film of the toronto film festival which is a yes a hockey musical and i like i walked out of the theater when they played that trailer i did not want to see the trailer for that piece of shit playing into the stereotype yeah and it's like it has all this freaking force canadiana it's like it says it's our game you know cocky because we are canada and we love hockey it's but they're a, singing it. Well, and uh, Stephen McCaddy's in it, though, so at least that's one, like, redeemable factor. But uh, you guys know Stephen McCaddy? I don't know. Who's that? Oh, he's a Canadian character actor. He's in tons of Canadian movies, like um, Pontypool. He was a star of that. Okay. And uh, he's in American movies, too. Like, he was uh, Hollis Mason in Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he had a small role in this movie is broken even, but that's because he does tons of stuff with Bruce McDonald. Speaking of that, Bruce McDonald, now that is a true Canadian, great Canadian director. Even though a lot of his movies are kind of chaotic and don't always work, the fact that he's a director with just identity, he's an auteur, like just stands out so much in Canada. So, And uh, we also have uh, Don McKellar. He's a pretty big deal here. Yeah, um, I like Don McKellar. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's he's both written and directed and acted in tons of stuff. So he's one recognizable guy. Now let me let me ask this because like we've never actually talked about this in the show, and like I think this is a really good point. Like, and I'll just go with my example. Like, whenever I see like for example, whenever I see movies portraying Hawaii, 
it's always the worst stereotype. Like I love like most people who like grew up and you know I shouldn't call myself a Hawaiian, but you know that's 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 neither here nor there. But in any case, like like <laughs> brown face. <laughs> I was waiting for it to come back. Full at some circle point the brown episode. face. Yeah. But like I mean, like most people who like have lived or or do live like in Hawaii, like most people I know like live on Maui and live on Oahu. They love the movie Fifty First Dates because like it's making fun of all those cliches in a really fun way, fun way. Like it's celebrating like the spirit of Aloha and it's celebrating Hawaii. Hawaii, but it's also having fun with those cliches but most of the time like when, when marty and i see movies that take place in hawaii everybody's living in grass huts everybody's surfing everybody's wearing a freaking well, you know it's like it's all those stupid awful yeah. cliches and and i mentioned all that just because i wanted to ask you ethan like like you know I, we, you know we've made jokes about like oh our friend from kanukistan but like how is it like for you like like is there a sense of pride in in all those like you know those very familiar stereotypes or is it just like is it like us we're just like oh god like another movie that's like playing into the whole quote-unquote image well honestly the best depiction the most realistic depiction of living in canada i've ever seen is scott pilgrim versus the world so wow yeah the lots of uh coins huh kung fu battles yeah (laughs) coins dropping from the sky (laughs) all right I thought you meant like like the the love for like film and culture and music. Yeah, but. like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like being being like a Canadian. Well, I, sh- oh, I can't. I kill myself. I call myself a hipster. But that kind of that scene. I just I'm so much around, and it, I just related to it so much. And they didn't have to. Of course, like Pizza Pizza and Second Cup are mentioned, but they don't have to be like you know saying Tim Hortons or playing hockey or oh. <laughs> or Leafs, you know, nothing like that. Yeah. Well, that's cool, and that maybe has something to do with the fact that I was in I was in Austin, Texas when I saw. It. But for me, like like the way they portrayed Canada reminded me kind of like Austin, Texas. Like you're saying, like a hipster town, completely into the arts, you know, and it's like. Uh, I don't know. It's it seemed like a more like a community as opposed to like a like a bunch of kids like dressed like in Gap clothes and the LOL culture, you know. All right. Definitely. Okay. Well, you had something to point out about. I'm sorry about the Hawaiian culture that we're we're so oh, tired no, of. Oh no, no, no. Because usually in the movies they don't get past the like hotels. You don't really get to see Hawaii. Yeah. It's like you know forgetting Sarah Marshall. Even though I appreciated what they did in that movie, I thought it was pretty funny, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, you usually just stuck with golf courses and like the hotels. You don't really get to see the actual tropical part of Hawaii for the You're most right. part. Yeah, and Blue Crush was the same way. It's all about the girls working at the hotel and yeah, going the to the beach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, thank God we have Hawaii Five O to really teach us what it's like out there. They should shoot a movie at the Hawaiian Mall. That'd be something. That'd be, that'd be yeah, the like Hawaiian the, Mall, like rats. the Kevin Smith Maui movie. That would be something. Yeah. yeah. All right then. All right. Are well, we good? Well, we went from I don't know. We totally like bunny trailed there, but <clears throat> that's yeah. okay. It was a fun discussion to, for something we had no topic for. Well, we didn't get to talk to Marty. Like, Marty, I wanted to ask you about like your experience, like working with the New York Film Program and all that. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I'll try to do it real quick. So it was uh, eight weeks. It was a summer workshop. It was the best summer of my life. Um, we shot on uh, sixteen millimeter. I got to do three short films. One of them, uh, after like two shots, the rest of it came out completely black because my person didn't light the scene right and that, that, was, that really stunk but um but yeah it was really really cram session you learned everything within a week and uh, we were just rotating crews shooting right away you could shoot all over the ucla campus which is huge and it's probably even better now because now they have new york film academy program at universal studios so i can't imagine the gold mine oh. locations you could use over there um i def- i recommend that program to anybody it's so much fun um, and then after that, I went to Los Angeles City College and just took film classes here and there. And um, 
Uh, I'm very thankful I, I uh, got to see like Buster Keaton on the big screen for the first time. Like that was amazing to me. And then finding out that college um, that I was going to actually shot a Buster Keaton movie there called College. Wow. And just uh, just finding out like all this uh, history and uh, film history in California and like all these places I've been going to, I started recognizing them on the screen. So it's really an amazing place to like start making movies and learning about movies where there's all this history around you. And, um, but uh, yeah, and then I, I don't know, I sat through a lot of those like really big, um, like we'd have classes in the actual theater, which was always a bad idea because it's just too cozy in there. You get sleepy and it could be interesting <laughs> what the professor's talking about, but it's just like the atmosphere. You just start nodding off. And a lot, a lot of those movies, too, which I'm sure Ethan has like sat through, like, I mean, it could be interesting, but it's just like it's too like relaxing and you can't it's a struggle to stay awake. And a lot of those classes are really early. So it's. Just a struggle to like sit through some of the documentaries and stuff I watched for the first time, and um, yeah, and I had to retake classes too just because I couldn't stay awake. Uh, I had to take my lighting class over again. I failed it, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but yeah, um, there was a lot. I was really lucky with my teachers, and the price was right. I was I was paying like eleven units uh, uh, per class or, or eleven dollars per unit in the class which is like nothing. wow yeah and it eventually went up to like 33 and it's probably more now but uh, it was cheap man and the teachers were amazing and then a lot of them were still working which is great um so they all had hands-on experience and i had a few that were just like total drones and like um or just really boring to listen to even though they knew their stuff they just didn't know how to like be entertaining about it so um but i had a great i had a great film class experience uh and that's another thing too. Like, if you ever want to make movies, get in those classes because they'll let you check out the equipment for free, so you can, you know, really take <laughs> advantage of that. Nice, uh, very cool. Do you have a favorite of those classes you took? Or? Um, let's see. Uh, probably the digital, the digital class. I'm really grateful I got to to edit and shoot on uh, 16 millimeter and 8 millimeter because I'm sure that's not going on too much anymore. But uh, um, but I love doing the digital stuff. Um, uh, I had a really good, really good teacher, and uh, and uh, no, it was just a good experience. I, I uh, any class where I get to make a bunch of shorts was good for me, and as much as it was interesting to learn all the history stuff, but um, I, I just wanted to get to making the movies. So very cool, Ethan. Do you have a favorite of the classes you've taken so far? Film aesthetics, partly because of my aforementioned professor. He's the best. His Texan accent. He says, idea. But I have an idea here. Yes. <laughs> and it was, he's always saying, like, to me, so I would write, like, Rao Walsh. It's, like, just great listening to him talk. <laughs> I could listen to him talk all day. That makes a real difference when you have a teacher you really love. So that's cool. Right on. Cool. All right. Well, shall we move on to what is hitting theaters this weekend? And I have two deals to wrap things up. But, yeah, all we'll right. Do that after the. Opening in uh, theaters this Friday. <laughs> Secretariat, starring John Malkovich and Diane Lane. This is the Disney Go Horsey Go movie. I can't believe I saw this like three weeks ago. Oh my gosh! Has it stayed with you? You can't. I know you can't talk about I it. I can't but, talk like, about have it. Have you been thinking about it? Or I have a bit. Made you want to buy a horse? Or? No, no, no. But yeah. you want to talk about it, don't you? I, see I, I kind of do, but you I do. Can't, so. You're chomping at the bit. I see ah, the, the ah, vein. I see ah, what you did there. Ah. I see what you did there. 
All right. A movie that has a title that is way too profound for like two hours of poopy diaper jokes. Life as we know it. What a pretentious effing title for a Katherine Heigl, oh, Josh Dumal baby tr- movie. The oh. trailer for that was, oh my God. It's like poopy diapers. Oh, the movie. Lots of poopy oh. diarrhea. Poopy diapers will bring us together. It's life as we know it. <laughs> Yeah. And then finally, the movie I'm really looking forward to. This could go either way. Like, okay, the bad news is like, like Wes Craven made this movie two years ago. It's finally getting into the big screen. What does that mean? And let's face it. I mean, you know, for every great movie Wes Craven makes, he makes something like, like Cursed or Shocker. Um, but he not I, wait. A- I, I literally just rented that today. Shocker. Let me know what you think. I like not a great movie, but interesting stuff in Shocker. I, I just watched it for the first time too. Did you like it or? <laughs> It's pretty ridiculous, but uh, it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it really is, and I like the whole thing of him jumping through the TV sets. But anyway, um, my soul to take this movie. Like, it, it okay, it's in 3D. That could go either way. But but Wes Craven actually wrote this thing, and it's also a hard R, which which makes me really excited. This isn't like cursed. It's not going to be watered down. <laughs> So I'm, I'm excited to see this. I really am. I'm hoping my solo take will be good. So in limited release, you have the remake of I Spit on Your Grave. Um, not rated because apparently it's Nasty Nasterson. Um, in limited release, you've got the new film with Zach Galafianakis. And I think uh, Emma Roberts is in this too. Um, uh, I think so. It's it's yeah. kind of a funny story, which might be an instant review for the film. Yeah, I'll find out on Tuesday. Yeah. Well, here we go. Yeah. I'm going mostly because it's at the cool theater. It's at the I haven't board. told you what I'm seeing tomorrow. I'm seeing Enter the Void tomorrow morning. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Have you seen it yet, Ethan? No, I'm just... just I can't dying. believe I'm seeing that before you. This was like yeah, on your you, list last... I know. I'm sorry, I'd man. I'd rather see that piece of shit with Captain <laughs> Idol the baby, too. Here, I'll, I'll fill in the experience for you, uh, Ethan. <laughs> and then have a seizure. <laughs> Actually, I think it's playing at a film festival here this month. So, yeah, because like I, you're the one who told me about this. Because I remember at the beginning of the year, you made your list of movies you're looking forward to, and you read it, and you said Gaspar Noé. Or I'm like, oh, the the irreversible guy. Oh God! But you were like irreversible guy. <laughs> Let's put a positive spin on it. But it, lo- it looks so interesting. I mean, I'm really, I, I'm really curious. It's so we'll see if my curiosity is rewarded or punished. And then finally, expanding in theaters this Friday would be the Ryan Reynolds Buried Alive movie. I hope buried. It, I hope it's like what I think it's going to be like. Just like ninety minutes of get me out of here, get me out of here, <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, thanks to our, our our UK correspondent Jack Gregson for getting us that drop coming out of the break. Yeah, he loved this movie. Yeah, is uh, that his review? best film of the year? Right, I, I think so. I don't know. I have to. Re- I'm posting his review later today or tomorrow. But uh, yeah, he really dug it. Oh, I admire any movie that has that kind of limitations and can entertain. It's for only that long. in the box, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Apparently, it's like what 70, 80 minutes, or it's, it's eighty it, some minutes. Yeah. yeah, it's short. It's short. So. I wonder if they got flashbacks within the box. That'd be cool. <laughs> Remember when this happened five minutes ago? Five minutes earlier. No, this isn't the song. This isn't the song of these. I was gonna say if this, this or 127 hours. It's like the two movies. The... All Which right. one would be better? I'll bet Buried's better. I'll bet it is because it's got that B movie thing going on. I think that'll really serve it because I think I think Danny Boyle is gonna really really pile on the style because that's Danny Boyle. Wasn't there a movie where some guy was trapped in the ice? What was that? Encino Man? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Forget wow. it. Was, it, was a, it was a foreign film that came out recently. He was trapped in ice? Yeah. 
I thought it was like some like snowbound thing. Yeah, whatever. Uh, well, there's the Never one mind. Frozen. Yeah, I thought frozen, it was Frozen. Where they're stuck in a ski lift. It's like oh, three ski Which lift. is actually, I'm going to be bringing that up in the deal <laughs> nice. of the week. So, yeah, yeah, and then like the wolves are like circling the ski. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> well, it's 10 bucks this week at Best Buy. So, yeah. Yeah, it really? Just came out. Yeah, yeah we'll, it's brand yeah, new we'll, and it's we'll 10 bucks. Yeah, okay, we'll cool. All right. Just save the crap title for me. You get oh it's, that is all yours. Although I, I'll defend the actress because I like the actress. But um. yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> all right. So DVD releases the week. Here we go. How to Train Your Dragon. Instant review. The dragons are awesome. Everything else, no, not so good. But the dragons are really great in this movie. A lot of fun. Uh, Dollhouse season two. I didn't know it went past season one. To be honest, it did. It, it didn't make it past season two. But yeah. Oh, okay. So this is it. So collect your Dollhouse. Dollhouse fans. Um, the Hudson. I Hawk. like acting. That's the problem. What's that? I like good acting. So. Oh, is that bad? It's, it's Eliza Dushku. It's a Weeden we show, it's right? It's Eliza Dushku. Emphasis on douche. Oh, okay. I wasn't going to go there, but okay. Oh, sorry. Damn. Anyway, the flop of the year thus far, one of the biggest flops of all time. Warner Brothers gave us Jonah Hex, uh, starring Josh Brolin, John Malkovich. And if they took Katy Perry and they took away her singing ability... You'd have Megan Fox. Oh, oh dang. No. You put a hex on that movie. <laughs> Seriously, go rent or whatever the, the Batman Under the Red Hood and just watch the Jonah Hex short. It's like 70s grindhouse. It's does awesome. Brolin do the voice? Or? Yes. Oh, no, no, cool. no, 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 no. Um, Punisher. Thomas Jane does the voice. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. He's got a good voice, Thomas Jane. Yeah, it's really good short. Okay. Wolverine and X-Men, the complete series. This was a revival a few years back. They just didn't have the budget to keep it going, but it was a, it was a pretty decent show. So. It wasn't live action, right? It was no, animated. no, it was, okay. it was a cartoon, but they got most of the, the actors from the 90s cartoon back and added some more characters. And That's cool. It was That's good. Cool. Nice. Um, I Am Love, the Italian film. I, I thought it was French earlier. The Italian film uh, with uh, star Tilda Swift. This is supposed to be a visually stunning movie. Like I've heard it's completely pretentious, but like visually gorgeous. Gorgeous. So, looking forward to seeing that one. The Darjeeling Limited, now in Criterion. This is the Wes Anderson film with Adrian Brody, uh, Owen Wilson. Who's the other brother? Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman. And very briefly, very briefly, Bill Murray. So um, and this was, That's right, Natalie Portman. That's right. So now all of Wes Anderson's movies are in Criterion now, right? It's no, a, no, Fantastic Mr. Fox didn't go Criterion, did it? That's right, it didn't. It okay, should have been. It should have. I didn't like this one. Did, did you like this one, Ethan? It was okay. I was yeah. For me, it was like a two star, like not a bad movie. I mean, they they don't make he did Wes Anderson doesn't make a bad movie, but uh, I I thought this I just didn't really I don't like it. Did you like it, Marty? No, I really didn't like Darjeeling. Although I love the opening with Bill Murray. I like yeah. how that was all shot and, and the song. And I mean, the soundtrack's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Then the movie started. And, yeah. Um, I saw this at the Denver Film Fest last year, and I couldn't have been more disappointed. This is uh, Leaves of Grass with Edward Norton. This is the one where he play twin, where he plays twins, and Norton's the whole show here. Like he's great as the twins. I mean, he really does react, like act with himself so beautifully. It's a great performance. But the movie itself is just it's bad Tarantino. I'm sorry. Uh, there's a third sequel to The Lost Boys. If you didn't catch last year's The Tribe, well now you got Lost Boys: The Thirst, starring Corey Feldman as the Frog Brother. Oh yeah, there's more. Yeah, I know. I'm just sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm just mourning silently over the Lost Boys three sequel, He Man and Shira, the Christmas special. Yay! <laughs> I put that in there like, just for you. Thank you for everyone like me who actually remembers when that was on TV. So yeah, like Orko finds the meaning of Christmas. Oh yeah, well Orko should. The Magician now available on Criterion. This is the uh, the Bergman film, of course, The Magician. And bringing us to our crap title of the week would be Dave. <laughs> Wow, this is just a really special one. You could, you, we had the Christmas motif going, so it's a Christmas movie, 
But uh, Mary Claus, Santa, Santa's business-minded daughter, must step in to help save Christmas. Santa's in the midst of a late-life crisis. He's tired of the responsibilities of the job and is ready to pass on the reins, ha-ha, to Mary, who feels torn between the family business and ruining her own high-stakes firm in New York City, along with balancing the love of her life, Luke. The situation gets dire when the disgruntled former elf, Terry, in cunning disguise, shows sows dissension at the North Pole in an effort to take over Christmas. This next Tuesday, you can pick up Jenny McCarthy in Santa Baby 2. Electric Boogaloo. Santa Baby 2. You know, McCarthy is not a great actress, and I'll never say she's a great actress, but I like her books. Uh, she wrote these books that were really personal and no holds barred about uh, about her experience being a new being a new mother. And now, of course, books about her her son having autism. Great stuff. Really, she's a great writer. She really is, and she's fun to watch. I mean, she's she's just she's got a great personality. She just is, yeah, fun to watch. I'm not going to argue with you there, but yeah, th- like in one of her books, she even said like at one point, you know, when her son was first diagnosed with autism, you know, there were all these different medical treatments and, and medications and whatnot. She, you know, it was costing a fortune. She, so she says, if you ever see me like in a series of really awful, bad, cheesy movies, which will go unnamed, now you know why I did them. So, okay. There you go. We've got the answer. There right you go. There. So, so supporting Santa Baby 2 is supporting, you know, Jenny McCarthy getting meds for her son, which is important. So. Wow, that makes you feel like like an awful person if you like. You need to movie. go out and buy Santa Baby too. Yeah. No, which no, I didn't just, mean to imply at all. No, 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 no. If you hate on it, you're a jerk. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what I took away from that, but it's okay. All right, I've got two deals of the week coming up here. Um, this Tuesday, obviously, we've got Beauty and the Beast coming out. If you're planning on picking up Toy Story three, um, you may want to go to Toys R Us then, because they've got a deal going right now. No matter what, wherever you buy it, you can go to what is it? Uh, Beauty Save Ten Offer dot com. Beauty the word save. The number 10 offer.com, and you can download a $10 off coupon to pick up Beauty and the Beast, the two disc Blu ray, and then the DVD copy. Um, Toys R Us has it for $22.99 this week, so the $10 coupon brings it down to $12.99. Better yet, if you're planning on picking up Toy Story 3, you put five bucks down, you get an extra 10 bucks off the movie. So you end up paying like eight bucks out the door for the thing. Hmm. So, screaming deal. Is that a doll you can get if you buy? Beauty no, and the no, Beast? that's something else. No, you get a coupon oh, okay. book if you buy it from Toys R Us. Oh, okay, okay. Which is better than the crappy uh, Tinkerbell watch I got when I bought the Blu-ray and then flipped it immediately. So you have a Tinkerbell watch? <laughs> no, no, I gave it to a neighbor. Oh, and, and I don't and I don't own Tinkerbell either. So <laughs> I had it for about five minutes. I took it till I took it to Entertainment and flipped it for ten bucks. You say a neighbor? Like, did you just literally just go across the street, knock on the door, you and threw be like, it over their fence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you say Toy Story Three was a two disc? Um, there's there's a four disc edition. Really, it's a four three disc, disc Blu-ray, and there's a there's a like the two disc regular, two disc Blu-ray and a DVD, and then there's like a three disc Blu-ray with a DVD. Okay, so I'm gonna go for the Uber edition because why not? If you're paying why for not? it. And then the other deal, since it's October, we got Halloween deals starting to pop up. Best Buy has a bunch of stuff on sale this week. Uh, let's see, for for like eight bucks, you can pick up Freddy vs. Jason or High Tension. Which okay, whatever. Why would you? But in the ten dollar category, you've got Evil Dead. Disturbia. Okay, maybe not. I just had to throw that one out there. Mm. But The Mist, Frozen, uh, Feast, Day of the Dead. Well, the new one, but oh well. Uh, the original Dawn of the Dead, Planet Terror, Death Proof, House of the Devil, uh, Donnie Darko. Like, uh, There's a lot of good stuff out yeah, there. Yeah, good titles. Yeah, yeah. So Evil Dead 2 is like 12 bucks that week. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. You just hit Best Buy's website. They've got all kinds of goodies this week. Okay. And I guess that's about it. If you want to shoot us an email, we don't have any this week, but it's okay. We won't cry too terribly Please hard. send us letters. We don't want money. We just want your letters. We want we'll feedback. We'll take money. What are you talking about? Well, you know, that's a lot to ask. But, I mean, I don't think it's yeah. a lot to ask to, like, type, you suck, and then hit send. So, that's please, true. tell us we suck. We want to hear it. 
Wow. But if right. you have something positive to say, that'd be nice. Send those to Barry. What, the suck ones? Barry at ScreenGeeks.com. There you, you suck. go. You can also email us at Ethan <laughs> David Podcast. I love hate mail. I love it. Ethan David Podcast, all at ScreenGeeks.com. You can also call us at 719-358-2675. That is 719-358. And I don't know why I keep playing that. I really, I should probably just retire, retire that sounder, shouldn't I? Hey, Dave. Yeah. There's a Clint Eastwood movie coming out, and it's got... Um, What's the name of that actor? It's called Hereafter. What's the name of the guy who stars in that? Oh, it would it be Matt Damon. There you go. You had to sneak it in, didn't you? Well played, sir. Are there any other sounders we need to play? I bet my walkie. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and kill it now because it's going downhill. Now we're just becoming gimmicky and, and desperate. And brown face. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, this is Dave. This is Barry. My mom doesn't know how to work a PS3. <laughs> And I'm Marty. And I'm AJ. Take it easy. I'm a naughty boy. Naughty, 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 naughty.